the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. 16 games in, still in first place. It's the Ain't No Fang podcast. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner here with you. Uh, Alex, this is about as good as you could have asked for, especially with how tough the schedule was to open. Now that the Diamondbacks are done with uh, some other series, they face the Brewers, the Marlins. Here we are, still in first place, a couple weeks into the season. Absolutely, and some really promising pitching performances this past week. Not everything went to plan offensively or in the back end, but... Heck, they went three and three this week. It's it's not you know two losses in a row to Miami may not have been the most exciting thing to watch in the world, but still five hundred week. If they you know keep stacking five hundred above five hundred weeks, they're going to be right in there. Yeah, and if we could start with the starting rotation, I know there's been a lot of questions there early on in the season. Zach Gallen got off to a rough start. Merrill Kelly wasn't really ramped up the way that he hoped to be. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys are doing Gallen and Kelly things now. I, I think the world is not falling when it comes to those two. Stunning. Um, Ryan Nelson has held his own in this rotation. He's pitching pretty well to start the season. Uh, Zach Davies goes on IL. Trey Jamison gets his opportunity. He has a case right now, statistically speaking, as the best pitcher on the entire team. And that's about as good as we could have hoped for. Yeah, did you watch Zach Gallen yesterday? Yeah, Zach. Yeah, no, no, no. When it comes to talent, Zach Gallen is far and away the best player on this team. I just meant statistically speaking, Dre's having a sure. fantastic year. Given what they've asked him to do, different roles, things he's not used to, it's pretty impressive. Madison Bumgarner, on the other hand, three really rough starts. He came into this last one against Miami with a 7.27 ERA and somehow managed for that to mm. go up. Uh, things are going the wrong direction for Madison Bumgarner. Last year, he started the year hot. And then just completely fell off. This year, starting off really rough, how much longer of a leash do you give the guy? It's kind of a strange start to the season, too, because, I mean, if you know, watching the Miami game early on, first three innings, no blemishes. I mean, you know, give up a couple of hard hits, but for the most part, he was locating fine. And then it just sort of stopped. There was a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate, which the Marlins hammered, and that led to the five spot. If four of his five innings, he didn't give up a run. It's just he got clobbered in that one inning when he kept leaving the ball over the middle. He got a, a couple of days of extra rest. And in looking at quotes and post-game interviews from that game, it seemed like it wasn't just a standard couple extra days of rest. There was something behind the scenes. So between the arm fatigue in week one, what's going on with him now? I just, I'm not entirely sure what is going on with him from a physical standpoint, maybe from a mental standpoint, but they're... Um, definitely something to monitor. I mean, ultimately, he's not going anywhere for right now, uh, especially with Davies hurt. But, you know, when Davies comes back, maybe they have a decision to make as far as who's going to be their starting five, especially if Jamison and Ryan Nelson are like their third and fourth best starting pitchers by a long shot at that point. Nine hits, five runs you uh, mentioned, and only one strikeout. Now, also only one walk, so he was in the strike zone a lot, but like A little said, too much so sometimes, yeah. Yeah, getting hit around quite a bit. Okay, let's focus more on Zach Gallon for a moment. You mentioned he's kind of started to figure things out. He's very much started to figure things out. His last two starts were both very impressive. April 10th against Milwaukee, seven innings, only three hits, struck out 11, no runs on the board in that game. That was huge. Uh, was that and then the second game that was against Sandy and six and two thirds again no runs only two hits he struck out seven Zach Gallen really starting to do ace type things again yeah spectacular week from Zach Gallen I mean the pitches look like the best versions of themselves are close to the best versions of themselves right now when maybe there was a little bit of um, 
not rust necessarily, but just kind of figuring it out, grinding through it the first couple of starts. He's not putting anybody on base, really. I mean, the first start we mentioned with the Dodgers, a couple of walks really hurt him. These these past two starts hasn't been the case. He's kind of just getting one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and everything is working. He was a an absolute menace with his curveball against the Brewers uh, on the, I believe that was... Was that Monday? Last Monday? April 10th. Monday or Tuesday? I think it was. Um, yeah, I believe that was last yeah, Monday. Yeah, last Monday. That pitch, it, I mean, it looked insane. I mean, it just looked unhittable, and, and he was really, really dominant against the Brewers lineup that had started the season pretty well. And then against Miami, just working everything. I mean, a couple of really disgusting pitches to get some strikeouts, but ultimately just wasn't giving up a whole lot of hard contact. Um, and just kind of getting deeper and deeper into games. I mean, he's, he looks like Zach Gallen, and who knows? I mean, he's got that uh, that, that bobblehead they're giving away uh, this upcoming weekend that's commemorating his scoreless streak. He's on a scoreless streak going into that, so who knows how long he can keep it going, but we, we've seen a sample size that he's done it before. I do feel Merrill Kelly deserves another shout-out as well. He's, I mean, by ERA+, plus, he's the best of the five starting pitchers right now, uh, outside of Jamison, who has pitched in relief quite a bit. Um, but Merrill Kelly, for what it's worth, his hits per nine is lowest on the team at five per five point nine per nine innings. His homers is almost non-existent. I think he's only given up what one home run so far this season. Hmm. Merrill Kelly, despite the slow ramp up at the beginning of the season because of the WBC and a shortened spring training, Merrill Kelly's been quite good as well. So this rotation is starting to take shape. Uh, I don't know what happens with Madison Baumgartner. If there is a scenario where they would eventually give up on him, I don't know what that looks like. Mm. Uh, obviously, you don't send a guy like that to the minor leagues. Uh, no. So you would probably either have to straight up cut him and eat the money or try to find a trade partner who would just give you nothing. Um, put but him in the bullpen. Put him in the bullpen. I don't know if that's a role that uh, The long reliever want. role is still kind of up in the air now that Dre, uh, Dre Jameson's in the starting rotation. Uh, but I don't know if that's something he would want. I don't know how he would respond to that. I'm not sure how the team would respond to that. Um, yeah, it's it, that's a tough decision. It's I don't think they have to make it quite yet, but they're you know a couple more of these and they're going to have to start. Yeah, and in theory in a couple, I don't know how long it'll take, but Zach Davies comes back from IL eventually. You have a decision to make, especially if Dre Jameson is continuing to pitch the way he has. Right now, a 1.46 ERA, 12 and a third innings. Uh, he's struck out 12. He's walked five. His ERA plus is 306. <laughs> I mean, Dre Jameson right now, again, like I said earlier, statistically speaking, one of the more dominant pitchers you've had. You've asked him to serve multiple roles already. He's done both of them with a level of success. We'll see how good he kind of stretches himself out. Only 54 pitches right. in his first start of the season, but... Pretty dang good uh, in those 54 pitches and four innings. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's done everything they've asked him ever since he came up to the major leagues last season. He's done everything they've asked him to do at a really, really high level. And you haven't seen a hiccup yet. Maybe he gets there and how he responds to that is something we can monitor. But, man, I mean, the way he's pitching now, if he continues to be productive, I don't see how you take him out of the rotation. How would you move him back to the... I mean, I understand how. I understand the mechanics of it is probably easier than moving a guy like Madison Bumgarner, who has World Series MVP Mm -hmm. history. Um, But that's a long time ago. I mean, arguably, Madison Bumgarner's best... or last good season he had was 2016. That's a long time ago. That's seven years ago. And so, at this point, I'm... If Davies comes back and you are set on putting Davies back in the rotation, which I don't think is a given either, but let's say he deserves a spot in that rotation. Madison Bumgarner is the guy, the odd man out. 
I'm not moving Dre Jameson. And right now, I'm not moving Ryan Nelson either. No, because those are the two guys that they want in their rotation for the long haul and have looked good early. The results early have been good, and the process early has looked good. So, yeah, I don't see how, just from messaging, you mentioned last week about Dre Jameson and messaging, what kind of message it sends to him um, if by putting him in the bullpen again. If some, So, I don't think that works out, but I just... From a wins perspective, if they're getting the job done and Madison Bumgarner isn't, I don't see how you can move off of the young kids. So, um, but we know tough. money talks. That's tough. I know money talks, but it's not like we haven't seen teams do this recently. I mean, the Angels come to mind when they DFA'd Pujols when he still had a like a year and a half left on his contract and, and Upton uh, and Upton. <laughs> they did both. They did both. That's true. That's right. Uh, can't forget about Justin Upton. David there. Price but comes to mind. It happens. A guy that the Dodgers is kind of stuck in the bullpen to make thirty three million dollars as a reliever. Right. I mean, it's it's you don't want to like, oh, we've already paid this money, so we have to keep writing this out, even if it's costing us. And if they feel like it's really costing them, then I don't see how they can continue to ride it out if they have better options. Which you know, maybe last year they didn't, but this year they do. Right. So, Looking at the bullpen uh, without Jamison now, Andrew Chafin is clearly, uh, he's got the best stuff in the bullpen. His whip is .67. He still has yet to give up an earned run, so his ERA is holding steady at zero. (laughs) Uh, Kyle Nelson's been pretty good in uh, in six and two-thirds innings as well. I think I like him a lot. Uh, Miguel Castro's been pretty solid. Uh, Dre Jamison, obviously, we talked about in his role. The bullpen has a couple of guys. Scott McGuff, though, is the one that's been getting roughed up. Yeah. And so uh, I don't know if you see any roles in the bullpen sort of taking shape. Is that happening at all? Uh, I still don't think we have a ton of clarity as far as the back end. It does seem like they're going to go matchup-based, at least for the foreseeable future. I'm not sure. Maybe if Chafin continues to do this and... You know, they get Mantiply back and they keep Kyle Nelson up there. They'll have enough lefties to mix and match while keeping Chafin in more of a set closer role. But for now, I, I, I think that we're going to get closer by committee still for the foreseeable future. Mantiply coming back is going to be huge because the back end guys, like you mentioned, have been mostly pretty good. Miguel Castro had a, a difficult outing against the Brewers in relief of Merrill Kelly this week. But other than that, has been very good for them. Chafin, you mentioned, has been good. Ryan, or Kyle Nelson has been very good. And you're going to expect a lot of Joe Mantiply when he comes back based off of what we saw last year. So um, that you know that core is going to give them a lot more stability than we've seen last year. It's can Scott McGuff turn it around? It's his first you know experience in the majors in a long time. And uh, so far, he's left a couple of balls over the middle that he probably would like back and have gotten hit hard. And then you know, you're just still sort of searching for some consistency as far as the middle relief guys. So there's still stuff to figure out there, but I think that they have a little more stability in the back end, even though we're not going to know exactly whose role is what. It's going to depend on the day-to-day. Let's turn our focus to the offense. Corbin Carroll had a very good week. He's mm-hmm. clearly one of the best players on this team already. In the league already. In the league, yeah. He, in, in a lot of ways, I think you're right. Six stolen bases so far uh, is kind of the highlight, although if you want to look at a low light, he's leading the team by far in strikeouts at 15. Hitting 288, on base is 300. That's not good enough, but it's okay for now. Uh, he does have eight RBIs. He also leads the team in home runs with four on a team that doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, kind of recap the week that was for Corbin Carroll and how he's adapting to major league play. Yeah, I mean, he was easily their best position player throughout the week, just consistently. Um, you're right, though, as far as the on-base, it, it's really interesting because this is a guy with a great eye who swings at the right pitches, 
He has not drawn walks this year, and that's been a that's been a team wide occurrence. They were he last. Have a single walk yet? They were last in the league in walk percentage last week with four percent. They're still under five percent for the season. They're the only team under five percent. So for whatever reason, as a team, they're not walking, um, and that applies to Carroll too. He's been able to you know still produce because he's hitting the ball so hard. Um, you're right, the strikeouts are a lot, but he's impacted wins. You know, throughout the week. I mean, just look at that game against Sandy Alcantara and the Marlins. The D-backs were starting to pile it on, get to Sandy after that error he had. And then just that was the crusher. That was like, okay, we are winning this game. Uh, First pitch, it was a mistake up in the zone. And he just attacked it. And that's another thing that Carroll has been doing, which, you know, part of the walk thing is he's been attacking early pitches early in counts. And he's been hitting them hard. So I think it was a, a really productive week where, you know, only one stolen base after he had five over the first uh, couple of weeks of the season, but he's gonna ha- he's gonna be a guy who's gonna get on base. He's gonna find ways on base, and I think that the walks are gonna start rack. I mean, I would have to think the walks are gonna start racking up for him specifically. I think people are gonna give him less to hit, and he's had a good enough eye to let those go. But that's gonna be a little bit of an adjustment for him, um, especially given how the you know first couple of weeks of the season have gone. To your point, it's an adjustment that a lot of guys on this team are going to have to make. Gabriel Moreno has zero walks this season in 40 plate appearances. Nick Ahmed has zero in 35 plate appearances. Carroll, zero in 60 plate appearances. Uh, Looking at the bench, uh, pretty much everybody has one except for Kyle Lewis in 18 plate appearances. That's not a big sample size. He's on the IL anyway. Yeah, so I mean... This team just isn't getting on base at a good clip. And I would argue, too, I mean, you want to talk about the the good spots in the starting lineup. There's really three players in the starting lineup doing well. That's Carroll, uh, despite the low on base. Josh Rojas has been great, mm-hmm. especially after being asked to be the leadoff hitter. 356 play, uh, batting average, 400 on base. He's been really, really good. Um, I think Nick Ahmed has been pretty good. He's hitting 324, albeit with zero walks. His on base is also 324. Right. So those three guys have been a good key. Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, both hitting under 195. Uh, Gabriel Moreno has yet to score. He's the only player on the team who hasn't scored a run. He's got 40 plate appearances. So there's still a lot to be had from this team. Christian Walker, who I would have argued is probably the best offensive player on this team. He's hitting 196. It's not really that good looking for a first place team. No, it's not. Um, You're absolutely right. And, Remember last week we were talking about how chaotic all of their wins were and how they were getting on base running. And it it didn't feel quite that chaotic this week because they weren't getting on base, obviously with the walks, but they also weren't getting as many hits because when you live life like that, you have to get guys on with walks to try to make stuff happen beyond just hitting the ball hard where they ain't. Because last week, their batting average with balls in play was among the best in the league. They were finding every hole you you could look for. This week, it fell back down to below league average. And so because of that, they just weren't getting the ball through anywhere. So, yeah. and especially in big spots, they had a couple of opportunities, especially in those two Marlins losses late in games to climb back in, add to their lead in that second loss where they eventually lost the lead late, where they just weren't, you know, picking up the hits in, you know, big situations. And it's, you know, it's it's up and down the lineup. And um, a couple of guys still had good weeks. I to give a little shout out, Lourdes Gurriel has been looking better offensively. Um, he had uh, you know, a couple of big hits this week, even though he had one at bat uh, in that first Marlins game. I believe it was that first Marlins game, or maybe it was the second Marlins game. One of those two where he came up in a big spot and didn't get it done. 
But And then Geraldo Perdomo has continued to be good, although he hasn't played as much this week with Nick Ahmed getting a few of those starts. They're actually pretty much split even yeah. when you look at plate appearances. Perdomo's got 33 and Ahmed's got 34. They're both playing pretty well. Ahmed, right. I think, is uh, probably, well, I mean, Perdomo's hitting pretty good. He's hitting 400. He's on base 516 because that's the one guy on this team that does walk. <laughs> the only guy on this team that does walk pretty consistently. But as you mentioned, he's basically splitting time 50-50 with Ahmed. Yeah, and you know, going back to some of the other guys you mentioned, Christian Walker's an interesting one because he's... Last year, if you remember, he got off to a difficult start, but for a different reason. Last year, he was hitting the ball really hard early, but man, he couldn't find a hole. Diving catches, I mean, sharp line drives right at third base. I mean, it, just, it became comical to a point where it was like, okay, this is going to eventually turn around. This year hasn't quite been the same. Um, he's not striking out a ton, but he's not walking like everybody else. He's not hitting the ball hard. His average exit velocity is in the bottom third three percentile of the league wow. which is weird and wild given what he's looked like the last few years so it's it's there's something i mean it, it might just be like an early season slump and he'll figure it out but he's just simply not having the same offensive impact on the baseball even when the results weren't great at the beginning of last year he was impacting the ball really hard this year has not been the case so curious when that turns around if that turns around that'll be something to definitely monitor but Man, that's that's a huge bat in the middle of your order that they need to get going to sort of help everything else sort of balance out. Corner infielders on the bench specifically. Evan Longoria has been asked to play a pretty specific role. He's had 31 plate appearances. He's hitting 286 on base 355. He's been pretty good. Uh, does have two home runs already. Paven Smith is the interesting one to me, and I do consider him a corner infielder. Three-hole hitter Paven Smith. They can't get him out. I know. he's <laughs> Right now, he's got 15 at-bats. He's got five hits. He's got five RBIs hitting 333 on base 375. He's been very good in the limited time that he's mm-hmm. played. Um, that is kind of the odd thing about it, though, is that he's being played so in such a prominent position in the lineup. And I, I will admit this, while I've never been a fan of him hitting in that spot in the lineup, it's not like there's a lot of other guys who deserve it right now. That's true. Uh, Corbin Carroll is starting to figure stuff out, but I don't expect him to hit three. I think most people expect him to eventually eclipse Josh Rojas and move up to number one. Maybe one, two against righties kind of deal. One or two, somewhere in there. He's he's a little bit more towards the top. Uh, Christian Walker, to your point, not hitting the ball hard. Does he stay in the middle of the lineup? He kind of has to because he's the only guy on this team with some significant pop. Uh, Gabriel Moreno hasn't hit a home run yet. Uh... I don't know who else deserves to be in the middle of the lineup right now. So when I see Paven Smith at number three, I'm like, hands in the air, like, okay, <laughs> I guess. I, I I don't see anything else that they should be doing over that. So far, so good. I yeah. mean, is in that first game, um, I forget he had two or three hits in that first game that he hit third. He had two doubles. Yeah, and then against the Marlins this past, this most recent game, he had a couple of hits, uh, including a double. And so, yeah, so far, I mean, again, he's kind of hardly played compared to a lot of the other guys who've been playing every single day. But so far, so good. He's, he's a bad who he gets the, he gets contact. He hits the ball and he, if he continues to find holes, he's going to be very successful. He's not going to hit a lot of home runs, but you're right. I mean, this is a team that so far offensively is, is sort of gasping, not really gasping for breath, really, but in a lot of ways, Maybe that's apt just given how little they're getting on base, how little some of these guys are hitting the ball hard. And just to have a guy come up from AAA and just, you know, against right-handed pitching in a specific role, come up and do that already, it definitely gives them a little bit of breathing room and, you know, gives Torrey some options to go up early in that lineup, even if it's not somebody you would have expected to be there. 
I do like to give some credit to some minor league guys every now and then on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be- the ones who are closer to the majors usually, like Drew Jones, first round pick. What was that last? Just last year. Last year, yeah. He's been awful to start the season. I mean, terrible. But he's far enough down in the minor leagues that he's got plenty of time to figure that stuff out. So I'm not too worried about it. There's a guy named Blaze Alexander. First of all, great name. Awesome baseball name. He's in AAA Reno right now as a shortstop and might be one of the best offensive players in the game of baseball right now. He just got hurt, though. Yeah, I know. First 24 at-bats, I'm reading from a report from uh, MLB.com's Steve Gilbert. First 24 at-bats, Alexander had a slash line of 458, 618 on base, 792. Holy cow. A right-handed infielder bat uh, option for them at some point. And a shortstop, the one position that I would have said before the season that they were lacking at, but right now... Ahmed and Perdomo are two of your top four hitters, probably. Right. Alexander could play a little second base, too. And um, he made the 40-man roster. So it's, it's you know, somebody who they clearly had in the plans of, we're, we're not going to let this guy go. This is a guy who we're going to use at some point in some capacity. Um, surprising pop for somebody who, you know, for a middle infielder, some pretty good power and a guy who has really improved after a difficult, I believe it was 2021 season was uh was difficult offensively and then he kind of turned a corner last year looked great in spring training and so yeah he's he's a guy he's definitely a, a name to keep uh, an eye on even with a name like blaze he's got a crazy forget. arm too yeah i remember when he i think he was playing third at one point in the minor leagues when i saw him and his throws are incredible yeah i don't know how much accuracy he's got but he does have an incredible arm buddy kennedy is another guy uh, a guy that we've seen in the major leagues before, even, but this season in the minors, he's been fantastic. 378 batting average. His on base is 566, an OPS of 1.350 right now. Buddy Kennedy, he's also an infielder. Yeah. And if you watch some of his highlights, he's crushing some of these home runs. I mean, he's tons of power. And you're right, we saw him for a little sample size last year, but there's just optionality here that there wasn't at the beginning of last year because of now some of the guys in the, like, not just in the, like, throughout the minor leagues, but in AAA, like guys who are on the cusp, are playing really well. And so that's going to give them a lot of, like, you know, down the road, if injuries are going to happen, you know, somebody's going to slump, somebody's going to, you know, things happen with rosters, that, but they have sort of more depth now than they've had in recent seasons. That's going to give them, you know, if Buddy Kennedy comes up tomorrow for whatever reason and gets slotted into the lineup, that's not like an automatic, oh, you know, oh, well, the eighth spot in the lineup is is a dead hole. No, because he's crushing the ball. Yeah, he's doing really, really well. And uh, yeah, to your point, it probably takes an injury, especially when you consider the positions these guys play, second base, shortstop, maybe third. Um, nobody at any of those positions is really at risk right now. Perdomo's playing well enough that I don't think you get rid of him. No, I, I, no. Nick Ahmed, same thing. Uh, Cattell Marte, I, while I don't think he's been fantastic, you know, I, I don't think you can preclude him from being in your lineup. I think he's still one of the most talented players they have. And uh, Evan Longoria has been pretty good at third, and Josh Rojas is maybe your best hitter so far. So no real risk of anybody being sent down or anything like that. Absolutely. But it is kind of cool to know that you got some guys sitting in the minor leagues. Uh, let's take a look at, uh, I don't have the schedule pulled up in front of me. Do you know who the Diamondbacks are facing this week? Uh, it starts with the Cardinals. So three games in St. Louis, and then they come back to face the Padres again. Right. Flaherty, Montgomery, Woodford. Not the most intimidating three pitchers coming to town. Uh, or sorry, it's in St. Louis. But you do get Kelly, Jamison, and Bumgarner this week. Yeah. I mean, 
They've, they, they've had a heck of a row as far as starting pitching that they faced. I mean, to go up against the Brewers, and they didn't end up getting uh, Woodruff due to injury, but they got Corbin Burns, and they got the best of Corbin Burns, who had a difficult start to the season. Uh, they get Sandy Alcantara when they place, face the Marlins, and they actually get to him after he really dominated for a lot of that game. So, you know, they're not going to have those superstar pitchers, but Jack Flaherty is a guy who's been good before. Um, Montgomery had a very good start with the Cardinals last year. He's not bad. Um, and then, yeah, then you're going to go up against the Padres. We're going to see some really good starting pitching again. So Four games against San Diego. Uh, as of now, it's slated to be Ryan Nelson versus Michael Walker. He's certainly an experienced veteran in this league. Uh, Zach Gallen versus Seth Lugo. Lugo had a rough outing last time out, but he had two really good starts to start the year. He's not as stretched out, though, so you might be able to get to him early. Uh, Merrill Kelly versus Hugh Darvish. That's Fun. that's entertaining. And then uh, possibly Dre Jameson versus Ryan Weathers is listed as the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, four really interesting games against San Diego. That starts the homestand. Then you get Kansas City, Colorado, Texas, I'm not overly worried about, although they're a decent team. Washington, Miami, San Francisco, Oakland, Pittsburgh. I mean, there's not a really, really hard series here for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about this last week and just like the opportunity that's ahead. If, if they continue to just pick up series wins or series splits or, you know, when they in the difficult part of their schedule, like let's say they take two out of three against the Cardinals, which would be a huge win on the road. And then they go and they split with the Padres. That sets you up really nicely throughout the rest of the month to not just like be like, oh, <laughs> after 10 games, the Diamondbacks are first in the division. That's nice. To being like, oh, after one month, the Diamondbacks are first or second in the division. So there's a really good opportunity there. Um, I think, yeah, we've mentioned that. And it's just, just got to take care of business this week. I mean, you can't just fall off uh, a three-game series against the Cardinals. That's a team with a ton of power, a lot of familiar power. And... Uh, and the Diamondbacks know, are not. And the Diamondbacks are not right now. <laughs> they but, don't walk. They don't hit the ball over the wall, but they're still in first place. <laughs> so yeah, they are, they still are. And if they do walk, and if even if they don't hit the ball over the wall, but they're just still walking and hitting the ball in the gaps with actual people on base, um, I think the, the offense is still built to be fine. It's just a matter of actually, you know, executing to the highest degree of what they can do. They're not going to hit tons of home runs, but... I think Tori Lavelle said this on the air last week after the Corbin Burns start. That's a guy you have to work walks and work long at bats against because he was cruising through seven innings and he didn't even have 90 pitches yet. So that's a guy who, I mean, he potentially could have finished that game if it was close. Um, and that's not what they want. They need guys to, they need to get to the opposing top pitchers by, you know, jacking up their pitch counts, by getting on base, by putting more pressure, more pressure pitches. And that's, going to give them more opportunities for stolen bases, for balls in the gap to score runs from first, and all, that kind of, all the chaos that we've loved to watch over some of their wins this season can't happen unless they consistently get on base. And they're not going to hit 400 in series all the time. No. Like it seemed like they did against the Dodgers that last home series. So, um, yeah, you're right. You know, not a murder's row of pitching that they're going to face necessarily this week, but still good arms that they're going to have to really dig into and make some sort of adjustments because they got to get on base more often. A real opportunity opening up in the schedule beyond just St. Louis and San Diego. They're going to have a real opportunity here in the next couple of weeks to mm-hmm. uh, to really stack stack some wins before they get to the toughest part of the schedule, which is probably towards the ends of the season. Go I do ahead. have one more note. Shout out to Josh Rojas' defense because he's been spectacular at third base so far, and that was a w- area of weakness last year. That's worth mentioning. Uh, it's noticeable. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just 
putting more work in at third base or if it's the fact that he's not being asked for the positional flexibility as much. I, I don't know. Cause there he was a time put in some work because the reflexes, just how clean he is with his transition. It, it looks a lot better. There was a time when he was playing mostly shortstop filling in for Nick Ahmed. Was that just last season? I guess it was at the beginning of last year. Uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago. Yeah. Last year he was mostly third base, second base. And then he was asked, I mean, he's at times played outfield. He's clearly capable of playing multiple positions but I feel like the fact that he's stuck at third for the most part has really helped him defensively because he could focus in on that he can be really good at one thing and not have to worry too much about okay what's what's my angles over at second base or how do I play this in the outfield because they have so much positional flexibility from other guys like Guriel or even Marte or some of the other guys having him just play third base. I've always been a real traditionalist in this way, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of like, okay, I know I am the third baseman. I just can focus on being really good at that. And it seems like Josh Rojas has really taken advantage of that opportunity. He's not just hitting well. To your point, he's playing great defense. Yeah, and it gives them the corners defensively with him and Walker. Because Walker, for as much as we say about his offensive struggle starts the, season, the start of the season, defensively he's been great. He's, he's elite. terrific. He's an elite defensive first baseman. He won the gold glove, and he's going to continue to compete for that award. But to have Rojas now, your, your corners look like really formidable defensively. And up the middle, you know, you're always going to have a good defensive center fielder because it's either going to be Alec Thomas or Corbin Carroll. Shortstop, you're either going to have Nick Ahmed or Geraldo Perdomo. And if a healthy Marte is a good defender, a healthy and quick Marte can be a good defender. And so, and then Moreno, also a guy struggling offensively, the defensive metrics look really good for him. He's throwing guys out left and right. So defensively, that's another huge advantage that they can have over other teams as far as just being able to make every play that's available to them. And Josh Rojas is a key part of that at the hot corner. That's got to be a way that they're winning games right now. I mean, if you stockpile all the stuff that you and I have talked about today, not walking, not hitting the ball over the wall, but they cause chaos on the Bates pads, and they're really good at defense. And the pitching is held up pretty well if you exclude just a handful of guys, Baumgartner, McGuff, that kind of stuff. That's how they're going to win games, man. Just be clean. Pitching and just defense. Be clean. Yeah. And, you know, the hits, take them when they come and swipe a bag here and there and try to cross home plate. I mean, that's what this game is, right? And they seem to be pretty good at that. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like small ball, I guess, in general, but they're, they're an elite defensive team. And I think that that's something that they needed going into this season. And they haven't had in the past couple seasons. 100%. But for now, 16 games in, still in first place. Will they be here a week from now when we talk again? I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. For my friend Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Thing podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.